0: Uh, welcome to The Well, uh, my name is Ryan Gear. I have the privilege of being the pastor here. And if you're new with us, uh, we're thrilled that you're here. Thanks for being with us today. And if you'd like to let us know you're here, you can text the word welcome to that number you see on the screen, 480-530-7234. It'll text you back with a digital connect card. If you want to fill that out and tell us about yourself, then it'll uh, give you more information about The Well. And thank you for being here today. And, and so far, the, the uh, Facebook live stream is working. Last week was, was a fiasco for the first time in six months. For whatever reason, our live stream wouldn't work on the Well Facebook page. And so we had to just jump to my personal page. It worked there for some reason, but not on the church Facebook page. So right now it's working. But you know how when something like that happens, you're just waiting for the next shoe to drop. So I'm just kind of watching and hope, hoping that, that the live stream continues to work. Facebook is also changing their music laws, and uh, or music rules, I guess I should say, and um, that will probably affect what we do, so we're looking for some solutions here over the next few weeks. It's, it's part of Facebook's quest to be as unpopular as possible, I think, but if it, if it helps musical artists, then great, I'm all for it, um, but just stay tuned and, and we'll just kind of roll with it, uh, whatever Facebook decides to do. But I want to thank you for being with us this morning, wherever you are, we have people who watch from all over the country, people who participate in our online connect group from all over the country. And so thank you for being with us this morning. And we're continuing this uh, series uh, simply called Leadership. We're talking about how uh, all of us are leaders. And for some of us, that's that's hard to believe. Maybe you don't see yourself as a leader. Some Some of you, you might just devour whatever leadership content you can find because you see yourself as a leader and you realize how important it is and you wanna grow as a leader. Some of us don't really believe that we are leaders, but here's where uh, we're coming from in this series, that leadership is influence. If you influence anybody, and of course you do, then that is leadership. Now, of course, some people influence more people. Some people have a wider influence, of course, but I believe at least, as, as most prominent leadership coaches I've ever encountered, believe that leadership is influence. That means you are a leader. You have influence over people in your life, even if it's only influence over yourself, which we're going to talk about next week when we talk about leading yourself. So in this series, we believe that everybody is included here because everybody is a leader. Not only that, but as uh, this famous quote by John Maxwell suggests, this is how important leadership is. Everything. Everything's a big word. Everything rises and falls on leadership. Everything that happens, everything you see, every product you use, every idea you encounter, uh, everything was created by a leader. Somebody envisioned that thing before it was brought into reality. Whether it's a, a show you watch on TV, a product you use, an idea you believe, Everything was envisioned by a leader before it was brought into reality. So everything rises and falls on leadership. We're getting ready to to have a presidential election in the United States. Do you believe that everything in the United States rises and falls on leadership? Absolutely. So since you are a leader and everything rises and falls on leadership, what more important task is there than learning to become better leader. That's where we're coming from in in this series. So today we're talking about leading at home. Um, Now, half of Americans are not married. So we'll talk about leading your spouse or your partner, but that doesn't apply to half of people. What we're also talking about leading your children. Not everybody is a parent. So we're also talking about leading in your extended family and leading among your closest friends. So today the title is Leading leading at Home, but we're really talking about leading in the lives of the people who are closest to you, whether that is your partner, your kids, or your extended family, or your close friends. Being a leader, being an influence for good, a positive influence in their lives, and in the lives of the people closest to you. So everybody is included today. Now, 2020 has been tough on relationships. Would you agree? You know, whenever, whenever I see something that's just difficult now, something that's just like, man, how did that happen? Like, sheesh, that's, that's just hard to understand. It's hard to wrap your mind around. I think that's so 2020. I think that's gonna be a phrase in the future. Like whenever something bad happens, years from now, I'll be like, man, that's so 2020. It's just, it's been a tough year in all kinds of ways, obviously, but it's been tough on close relationships, family, friends, extended family. We live, of course, during the time of COVID, during a time when when the shutdown puts us in closer proximity to each other. There are families spending more time together, couples spending more time together than they're used to spending. For some, that's great. For others, it just magnifies issues that were already there. As it's said, we tend to hurt the ones we love. We're just, we're more apt to be ourselves and just put out whatever is inside of us around the people that we're closest to. They see us for all of our scars and imperfections. And, and so it's been tough on some relationships. And then of course we live in an incredibly divided time in American history. And so when we think about extended family or friendships, many of us, if not all of us have probably experienced strained family relationships or strained friendships because of politics. And we're trying to navigate through that as as a country. But 2020 has been very difficult for relationships. So we're talking today about leading in those relationships. How can we be an influence for good in the lives of the people close to us? So we're going to read a passage from the New Testament, and it's about family and close relationships. And Anytime you talk about family in church, this passage is probably probably gonna be read. Like it's it's just in the pastor's bag of tricks. There are just a few passages when you talk about family. That, you know, this is one of them, probably the number one passage that that you're going to read. But we're going to talk about it today in a way that is different than maybe you've heard in church before. One of the one of the things we believe at the well is interpreting the Bible is not easy. And you can't just read something in the Bible and assume you know what it means and just say, okay, I'm going to go do that. Interpreting the Bible requires more than that. So we're going to read this familiar passage, but we're going to look at it in the light of its historical context and talk about how it informs us uh, in leading the people closest to us. So it's from Ephesians chapters 5 and 6. the New Testament Uh, starts at chapter 5 verse 21 there's several verses here I'll kind of read quickly but I want you to to hear the whole passage in context and then we're going to talk about leading uh, those closest to us today so let's dive in get ready for this submit to one another out of reverence for Christ so far that that sounds great submit to one another out of reverence for Christ now, here we go, verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Things just got awkward. But r- wait, remember, we're going to interpret this passage in the light of its historical context. Let's keep reading. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior now as the church submits to christ so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything we're not reading something that was written in 2020 in the united states let's continue husbands love your wives just as christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one has ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does for the church. For we are all members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. So Let's continue. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. There's a lot there. And, and there's a lot of content that doesn't quite fit into 2020 America. We'll talk about that. Let's continue. Uh, chapter 6, verse 1. Children. We're going to address children now. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother which is the first commandment with a promise so that it may go well with you that you may enjoy long life on the earth. And that's from the 10 commandments. It's either commandment four or commandment five according to how you count the commandments in whatever religious tradition you come from. So in this passage, we read things that we would think, oh, that's great. Submit yourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ. Children, obey your parents. Like, okay, like that, that seems to fit. There are other things in this passage that, would cause any woman and anybody who is concerned about women's rights to go, whoa, whoa, wait a second here. What, what's going on here? Because the truth is this passage has been used for centuries to subjugate women, to keep women out of ministry, to keep women in their place, quote unquote. And that's not our position at the well, but that's how this passage has been used. Now, it's used that way because there are so many Christians, especially in the United States, like we said, who believe they can just read the Bible and whatever they read, they can just do it. They, they claim to read the Bible literally, that I, I just read it and I, it, there's a plain meaning on the page and I just do whatever it says. Now, of course, that's not true. Jesus uh, tells a a rich man in the New Testament, sell all your possessions and give to the poor. I don't know any fundamentalist Christians who take that verse literally. They may claim that they read the Bible literally, but I don't know anybody who has sold all their possessions and given them to the poor. They they would look at that and say, oh, Jesus is using hyperbole there. So there's some cherry picking going on, but there are so many Christians who would read this passage literally or believe they are and just do whatever it says. Oh, and that's easy. Interpreting the Bible is easy. Well, let's just keep reading. We left off at verse 4. Let's let's continue now with Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5. Are you ready? Here we go. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear. Did you just hear the needle fly off the record? Wait a second. Reading the Bible and just doing whatever you read is just is just not the wisest way of interpreting the Bible. And with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them, not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one according uh, or for whatever good they do, whether they are a slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know That uh, he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Now, if you encountered somebody who told you that they are a slave and they just escaped their slave master, I mean, picture this you're at a gas station, and somebody runs up to you, They, they just escaped a car that was in the parking lot, and they're like, I'm being held against my will. I'm being, I'm being held as a slave. Please help me. Please call the police. Please help me. Are you going to quote Ephesians six five? Well, slaves obey your masters. Is that what you're going to say to that person? Are you just going to quote the Bible and pretend that you just do whatever the Bible says? Well, in lots of states, you would be arrested for being an accomplice in hostage-taking. Slavery is illegal in the United States. Abraham Lincoln would have something to say about the way that you use The Bible, as a matter of fact, slavery was the greatest challenge in American history, certainly, to people who just believe they read the Bible and just do whatever it says. They just take it literally. I just read it and do whatever it says. The Bible says it. I believe it. That settles it. Well, slavery pretty much ended that in the United States because the Bible does not condemn slavery. Here's what the Bible does do. The Bible does push its own time forward. Now, here's what I mean by that. These passage, well, these verses that we just read, they are what are called Greco-Roman household codes. And some people, some people listen to my sermons and they're like, Ryan, why can't you just talk about feel-good practical stuff all the time? Well, I think this is feel-good practical stuff, but without understanding the context of the Bible, you can't really understand the Bible. Text minus context Equals embarrassing proof text, just cherry picking and making it say whatever you think it says, whatever you make it, whatever you want to make it say. And so, looking at the context of the scripture, we understand this was written in the time of the Roman Empire, two thousand years ago. The Romans loved Greek culture, therefore Greco-Roman, Greco-Roman household codes. There are four of these in the New Testament one in Colossians 3 that's almost identical to this, and then a couple more that are, that are kind of close in the New Testament. How do we know that they are Greco-Roman household codes and they come from Greek and Roman culture? Because they come from Aristotle. 300 years before the New Testament was written, Aristotle wrote in his book Politics that this is how a healthy society functions. This, these are the household codes for our society. And there was a clear hierarchy. The the master, who is always the the man of the house, and he's called the pater familius. Pater is father, familius family, the father of the family. The father of the family is at the top of the food chain, followed by the wife, followed by the children, followed by the slaves. That was a Greco-Roman household code, a way of ordering society. The word here that we uh, read, submit and obey, it's actually the same word. It's the Greek word, hupotasso. And it's a military term about hierarchy, the chain of command. It's literally to be under somebody, to be under somebody's authority. So these household codes that we read in the New Testament come from Aristotle. They come from the Greco-Roman world. This is just the way everybody assumed a family would function as a patriarchal society. And everything in society benefited the paterfamilias, the father of the family. He was the top of the food chain. Now, what these passages do, some, something amazing, something that we can lose if we don't pay attention. 5.21, submit yourselves to each other out of reverence for Christ. That wasn't in Aristotle. That's an addition in the New Testament. That begins, if you, if you, begin to, if, if you take that passage seriously, that verse seriously, submit yourselves to one another, that begins to break down the hierarchy. It begins to undermine the hierarchy. And then in this passage about slaves obeying their masters, you wouldn't say that today. If you were writing about slavery, you wouldn't write that. Paul wouldn't write that either if Paul were writing Ephesians today. We live in a different context. We believe that slavery is wrong. You would say slavery is wrong if you were writing about slavery. But in his time, Paul, or the author of Ephesians, never dreamed of a world in which slavery was illegal. That took 1,800 more years before countries around the world started uh, making slavery illegal. But what this passage does do, it begins to undermine slavery by saying, hey, masters, you have a master in heaven who is your master and your slave's master, God. And so be, be kind to your slaves. If we were to take this literally, it would be a huge, horrible step backward. In its time, it was actually an inspiring step forward. So when we read a passage like this about being an influence in the lives of people closest to us, we read it in the light of its historical context. The Bible must be interpreted in the light of its historical context. And submit yourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ, that was actually progressive for its time and pushed its own culture forward. And so we can read the Bible in that way as well. Realizing much of the Bible in in the Old Testament and the New Testament did push its culture forward. And so what does that say to us? Perhaps the Spirit of God is always pulling us forward as we consider our relationships, how we order society. So what could this mean for us when we talk about leading the people closest to us? Well, first of all, Uh, Last week, we talked about uh, servant leadership. We looked at John chapter 13 when Jesus washed his disciples' feet, which was the job of a slave. And of course, get this, if 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 there wasn't a slave, then it fell to the wife. That was the hierarchy. And Jesus put himself in the place of a slave and washed his disciples' feet before the Last Supper, which was just a custom in their time to wash your guests' feet. And he said, because I've done this for you, you should do this for others. I've, I've served you as an example that you would serve each other. And so Jesus practices servant leadership. So as we think about how to lead and, and, and love and influence the people closest to us, we think about Jesus' example of servant leadership and of Ephesians 5.21, to submit yourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ. So, What does that look like in a marriage? Half of Americans are not married. Half of us are. So if if you have a a partner, a significant other in your life, what does it look like to lead your partner? And of course, you lead each other. You influence each other. What does does mutual submission look like in a marriage, in a a close romantic relationship? What does that look like? Well, we're told in this passage, husbands are to love their wives and wives are to respect their husbands. Of course, another assumption here is that marriage is, is between a man and a woman. And in the Old Testament, it was often between a man and many women. And so there's, there's a, a, a progression in the Bible about what marriage even means. In our congregation, we have people who are in same-sex marriages. We support people who, who uh, have the orientation that, that they are attracted to pe- members of the same sex and they have same, a same-sex relationship. And so we have families in our church that we love and value so what does it mean to mutually submit in any close romantic relationship well it looks like servant leadership it looks like saying how can i serve you and then the other person says well how can i serve you so let's not make it too complicated if you want to take the next step in, in being a leader and influence on your partner's life and they're influencing you and you want to influence them for good and, and what is right and beautiful and leads to their flourishing and, and acknowledges their dignity and helps you both grow as people, ask them. Ask That's kind of a dangerous question, isn't it? How could I serve you? I mean, you'll get some interesting answers. I'm sure that'll definitely lead to a, a conversation. But you can ask them. What would it look like for me to serve you? An amazing takeaway after this sermon would be to talk to your significant other, if you, if you have one, and, and say, what would it look like for me to serve you? <laughs> you might get some wild answers, but assuming you can have a reasonable conversation about it, if you both ask each other that question this afternoon, your relationship could change for the better like that. How could I serve you? What would it look like for me to be a servant leader in your life? What would it look like for us to mutually submit to one another. That, that could revolutionize a relationship. So with your partner, with your significant other, what does it look like to be a leader and influence? Ask them, how can I serve you? How can we mutually submit to each other? What about your kids? If not everybody has kids, if you are a parent, uh, verse 4, here in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Once again, this was written in its own time, in a time when the Greco-Roman household code was just the assumed way that society was ordered. In that time, a father could, a paterfamilias, father of the family, could beat his wife and children and suffer no recourse. As a matter of fact, it would be the wife and children who were blamed for dishonoring their father. If you didn't didn't give honor to the paterfamilias, he could beat you and and face no legal action. So the scripture here says, fathers, paterfamilias, and of course this would apply to, to any parent, do not exasperate your children, but bring them up. In the training and instruction of the Lord, to to exasperate somebody means to drive them to anger. means to drive them to rage. It means that you, as a parent, would drive your child to rage by treating them harshly. That's what it means to exasperate a child. That you have expectations for the child that they just can't meet. They're just not able to do what you're wanting them to do. And, and because they can't please you, they are driven to rage. They're, they're driven to, to build a wall between the two of you. And that relationship can diverge over time to where by the time they become adults, they just, they just don't want to have anything to do with you anymore because you exasperated them. You, you drove them to anger, to rage by treating them harshly, and, and they just couldn't please you. And so the relationship is not there anymore so for parents this passage certainly pushed the expectation of the time forward and it says the same thing to us now no parent would ever want to admit that we exasperate our children but if we're honest open people and we want to let the scripture speak to us because it was progressive in its own time and it can speak to us now we want to ask ourselves questions like man are, Do I exasperate my children? Now, of course, even good parents, you feel like your kids drive you nuts at times. I mean, of course. That's part of being a parent. But we can ask, do I exasperate my children? Do I push them too far? Do I have expectations they can't meet? Do I want them to live... Am I trying to live vicariously through them? Do I I want them to do things that I want them to do even if they can't or they have no interest in it? If, If they get... B's, do I want A's, even though B is their best? You know, am, I, am I expecting things that a child just can't, just can't do? You know, am I exasperating my children? My wife, Hannah, is an elementary school teacher, and she's been teaching for 17 years. She has a master's in education, and um, she loves to read. And so we have two boys, nine and four. Since we had our first uh, son, I will see her all the time reading parenting books. She is she is in my opinion an expert on parenting. And I have become a much better parent than I would have been without her. She understands childhood development. She's also the leader of of Well Kids and and she'll say things like, you know, children uh, can only do whatever their stage of development will allow them to do. Everything a child does is for a reason that's connected to that child's stage of development. She just understands this is how a child's brain functions at each stage. And and this is how we parent them and that parenting style changes according to whatever stage the child is in. So I wanted you to be able to hear from the parenting expert in my life firsthand. And so last night we sat down and uh, we shot a video together for a few minutes and uh, just let uh, Hannah talk about motherhood. And, and she mentions what she learned from her mom you know, growing up. But um, I just wanted you to hear from, from my wife about motherhood. And so this is just a few minutes long. Let's watch the parenting expert in my home talk about what it means to lead your children. Hi, everybody. These boys have grown up so much during the shutdown and they wanted to say hi to you. Why don't you wave, guys? Wave everybody yeah. at the well. We miss you, we love you and uh, these boys are ready for bed here. This is Saturday night when we're recording, and so they're gonna go to bed right after this, and they promise to be on their best behavior and be super quiet while mommy and daddy talk. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah we'll see how that goes. <laughs> and we're talking about parenting. So, all right, say bye. Say bye, bye everybody. Look at, the, look at the, this iPad, there you go. <laughs> bye. All right. all right, you guys play quietly, okay? do you believe everybody that he's gonna play quietly (laughs) Yeah. he believes it yeah sure all right so um, everybody welcome the much more photogenic uh, member of the gear clan and uh, my wife Hannah and uh, she uh, is who I consider to be a parenting expert and I have become a much better parent than I would have been without learning from her so I wanted to invite uh, my wife to share Uh, She's been an elementary school teacher for 17 years. Is that right? Masters of Education. She's a well kids director and has a lot to share about parenting. And so um, just to to dive in, honey, uh, one of the things that I've learned from you was to uh, actually think about where our kids are in their developmental process, because if we're honest, most of us would probably probably admit that we we tend to parent however we were raised, we just automatically, that's our default mode, we automatically just do that. And then we also probably, as silly as this sounds, but if we're honest, sometimes we even assume that a child is thinking the same way we do. Yeah. Like an extreme example would be like a parent thinking their one-year-old is manipulating them by crying. That's not what one-year-olds do. That's yeah. not what their development is. But we might assume that a child is acting the way that we they are because of, the way we think mm-hmm. and one of the things you've said is is that children do what they do for a reason that is related to their stage of development right. so would you care to say more about that
1: yeah so fortunately I had um, a wonderful example in my own mother and um, she she just had amazing patience and was always positive and that's something I still want to learn but Um, She went by um, a doctor back in the 80s named uh, Brazelton and I know that's how she raised my sister and myself and um, I've taken that concept of kind of how he saw children and I've kind of put that behind the raising of our own boys Um, but it also went hand in hand with what I learned in my undergrad. As I became a teacher, one of the courses I took was educational psychology, and that just opened up my eyes, amazingly, to how a child thinks, and as Ryan mentioned, it's, um, it's not that a one-year-old can manipulate you, right? When you're so exhausted you're like, they're asleep, and I'm going to go lay down and get some shut-eye. As soon as you put your head on the pillow, they start crying. They're not manipulating they need something whether it is just assurance they're hungry a diaper needs changed and so there's there's always a reason to the actions that children do when they're angry when they're sad when they're overly excited Um, something i noticed in our own boys is some is that you need to understand Um, enough about them that you see when it when they're growing and when they're changing so you're paying attention enough to their their growth and development to know like if our boys are overly excited and having a really hard time listening to me that's an indicator I think there's a growth spurt happening they just seem out of control and that's not normal for our boys and so that was something that um, for me I was able to have more patience, more empathy, because I understood this is something they're going through. They're not really choosing to do all of these things to drive me crazy. Instead, it's they're learning and they're counting on us to learn how to become successful, competent, knowledgeable, growing adults. And so... Um, I think that's kind of where I am. And this is the book I was referencing that my mom um, gave me when our first little guy, Graham, was born. Um, I read a bunch of baby books because to be honest, even though I went through school and educational psychology stuff, I wanted to know all that I could about just babies. And so I did all of the typical go-to baby books, but then realized, just your approach and how you, decide to feed, or diaper change, or sleep, like all of that, those are special approaches, but it's not really helping with their development in their mind, and so the Touch Points book that um, was written by Dr. Brazelton, he has two of them that I know of, probably more, um, that you could look up, but um, it's for birth to three years, and then another one for three to six years, so it just really helps in those foundational years, because the earlier you really know your child, it's better for them, it's better for you. It helps with the connection. Mm-hmm. And um, I know we've talked too about giving them those outlets and resources um, as well. And as they've gotten older, I've actually gone into this, the whole brain child. I actually just started this and have loved it just in the first few pages. But um, again, you're, you're trying to mold their mind in a healthy way. Um, mm-hmm. And so I guess that's kind of where where we are so far. And
0: one of the keys for parenting too that you've mentioned before is that when children act out, it's not because they're bad, Right. it's because yes, they're learning to make choices about how to behave appropriately, but it's because mm-hmm. there is some kind of emotion behind their behavior. Yeah. There's a, like you said before, there's a reason why they're doing what they're doing that's connected to their stage of development. So mm-hmm. just one of the things that you've learned or one of the ways that you've parented that's helped me is to realize this child needs me or needs us to help them make wise choices and you're really good at this but also how to recognize and and deal with their own emotions yeah that children are experiencing emotions just like adults are and we are and this is the scary thing we are modeling for them how to deal with their emotions in a yeah, healthy way right. so that they express them in a way that's productive and healthy when they grow up to be adults.
1: So that they continue with their children or their relationships. Right. Which isn't yeah.
0: scary at all, is no it? No pressure. Wow. So we we are modeling for them how to deal with their feelings, how to make good choices, and even in seeing in, in them this is where they are in their stage of development, we're, we're modeling how to, to know. People and how to have a relationship and, yeah. h- and how to love each other. Right. Um, and then you mentioned resourcing. So another thing that is really important to us a- as parents is resourcing our kids, mm-hmm. um, and being observant, seeing what they're good at, and kind of nudging them in, in those ways. And anything you want to say about that?
1: Yeah. Um, well, I guess really we we give them musical opportunities. We know that they're really gifted when it comes to like rhythm and. Wine to play music and be a part of music we have dance parties um the boys play with guitars and um, drum sets
0: this morning you took them to golf lessons and swimming while i was working you took them to golf and swimming we
1: did a little golf clinic on saturdays and swimming and used to be um, involved in soccer and some flag football but things that they're showing interest in we try to let them explore that. And if it works out, great. If it doesn't, we move on to something right. else and, and resource them with something right. else.
0: There are some parents, and we're probably all tempted to do this, to try to live vicariously through our children, where, where we wanted something and didn't have it. And so we try to force that on them or the parent who wants their kid to be a pro athlete, whether they're gifted to be or not. And so the, the key, going back to another thing you said earlier, is observing them and and you've mentioned before spending quality time Mm -hmm. with them whether it's playing video games or uno or just being zany or whatever it is to spend quality time so that you know your child and you can observe them you're a student of your child so to speak exactly and then you can resource them nudge them according to you know whatever they're gifted at whatever they might be good at help them explore that if they're not leave it leave it lay, mm-hmm. and if they are, then you can resource them more.
1: Absolutely, and honestly, to kind of go off of that, I, I noticed that bedtime is a big time that you can connect with your child, um, and when Graham was really little, I used to call it heart talks, where I would just lay next to him and he would just tell me about his day and sometimes it was something he was really excited about, sometimes it was something he was really worried about, and that kind of let me into like, I need to keep an eye on this. Um, And other times it's just, oh, I really like this, or talking a lot about one thing. And so that was always like birthday ideas or Christmas ideas, things like that, that, um, that help you know their interests, to know where it's going. Because let's be honest, as parents, we're busy. We're working constantly to provide for our family and you know, just the everyday mundane things—you know, making dinner, cooking, cleaning, um, doing laundry—some of that, it's all necessary, but it, it takes away time from yeah. relationships and each other. And right. so, you have to be intentional to say, "I have so much to do, but this is a sacred time." Um, and and it's easier said than done because we don't always feel like taking the time. Sometimes we just want our alone time, but to realize it is a special time. Um, I have a lot of, of those nice little heart talks at bedtime um, with the boys. And we read a little story separately to give them their own time, their individual time. We read a little story and then just snuggle for a little bit to talk. And so I think that's another time where they can have that safe place with, um, you know, with their parents to, to have that going as they grow and as yeah. they, um, yeah, they start to leave the home that hopefully they will have that connection that they'll right. always come back to when right.
0: they need it. So as we lead our children, mm-hmm. and of course this applies to adult children as well, and we'll talk about that more later, but we uh, observe them, spend mm-hmm. quality time with them, we realize that everything they do is for a reason that's connected to their stage of development, yeah. right? And then uh, resource them and, and build a relationship so that we know them and we can nudge them in the, in the right direction.
1: Yeah. So. Healthy adults, right. right?
0: Let's thank my wife for sharing with us today. I married up, didn't I? Uh, I just, uh, she has made me a better person and certainly a better parent. So thank you, thank you, honey, for sharing. And as I mentioned, my wife is the director of, of Well Kids. And so we have a fully functioning online children's ministry right now up to uh, sixth grade at wellchurch.org, because we're in the shutdown right now. We don't want to forget about our kids. And so they have awesome videos that are age-appropriate, and uh, our kids love it. And, and so if you have little kids, uh, well, Church, uh, or well Kids is there at wellchurch.org. So everything your child does is related to their stage of development. If you, if you want to be a leader and influence in your child's life, everything they do is related to their stage of development, and they can only do what they can do. And so we can meet them where they are. Now, by the way, before we move on, this applies to parents no matter how old your kids are. Some of you have children who are adults. And this stuff applies whether they're four or 44. And you know that as your children get older, the stakes just raise, don't they? It used to be that they, you know, put their uh, Hot Wheel cars under the couch or something, like my boys. That's, That's the problem. But when they're older, Um, the problems become much more threatening and you're afraid of that phone call that you get or you you get older and and you're, you're worried about your grandkids. So this is true no matter how old your children are. And every person I've ever talked to who is a parent of adult children and they do a good job at it would say something like, it's all about investing in the relationship on an ongoing basis so that when they need you, they know they can reach out. And you're there and, and you're supportive. And so um, we can be an influence in the lives of our children, no matter how old they are. And then finally, we want to be an influence, a leader in our extended, uh, extended family and in our friendships. Now, it's easy to be an influence in the lives of, of extended family and friends when we get along with them and when we agree with them on everything. But that's not what 2020 is all about. Right now, many of us have strained relationships with extended family or parents, uh, siblings, or even close friends over politics, over the culture war, over the division in our country. And for some of us, this is very painful. For some, you've watched your parents change over the past few years as they consume quote unquote news, cable news that doesn't really look like factual news, and they have changed. And it's difficult for you to have a conversation with them about anything meaningful. It's hard to have a relationship the way that you used to have. For some of you it's your it's your friends and, and, and they're you'll hang out and they'll well, distanced or online and and they'll say something, you're like, what what where do they get that from? <laughs> How, how do they think that? They're probably consuming different quote-unquote news media than you are. So 2020 has been very difficult for extended family relationships and close friendships. Now, if we want to grow as leaders, as influencers, it's important for us to be honest and ask ourselves honest questions. It seems to me that a lot of times when I... I find that I'm having a hard time in a relationship with extended family or friends, especially because of disagreements, I do start to react out of fear. Now, we want to stand for things we believe in. We don't want to participate in, in jokes and comments and, and misinformation that, that, are, that are damaging to people. And at the same time, when I hear somebody say something that I really disagree with, there is a fear response, if we're honest, that we feel. Wait, how could somebody think that? And, it's, and it's, it's a threat, really. There's some reptilian part of our brain that processes what they just said as a threat to us somehow. So fear is behind much of the emotional uh, difficulty that we're having with extended family and friendships right now. So... After this series is over, starting October 4th, we're going into a new series based on a book by a pastor that we watch videos of here occasionally, Adam Hamilton, and it's called Unafraid, Living with Courage and Hope in Uncertain Times. And so for five weeks, all the way leading up to the presidential election, we're going to be in this series called Unafraid. So my sermons will be on the series, or on the, based on the book, Unafraid. And then our Wednesday online connect group is also going to study the book, Unafraid, for five weeks. And, and they've been champions. I mean, they've, they've continued this online connect group for months already. And, and they're still you know willing to lead this. Kristen, or Travis and Kristen Lavren are leading that Wednesday group. We really appreciate them. So if you want to participate in that, you can buy your book now. Mine actually arrived in, in one day and uh, you can get more information here um, in the next couple of weeks at the well about that Wednesday Connect group. We'll have links on the Facebook page where you can, uh, where you can join that Wednesday Online Connect group through Zoom discussing this book, Unafraid, and the, uh, the sermons will coincide uh, with, uh, with the, the book study. So uh, this past week, I had a conversation with a friend of mine who's a, a really good friend of mine and um we're not polar opposites politically. We do have some different views, but we're not as divergent as as some folks and We had a conversation about a month ago too and, and so this past week was kind of a follow up on that and and uh it was is at night and um we talked for about an hour and uh and he shared kind of where he's coming from when it comes to the the presidential election, and how he's thinking about voting, and, and I shared where I'm coming from. And there were times in the conversation where it was a little tense or a little uncomfortable. And at the same time, he and I have been friends for a long time, and there is, there is enough mutual respect there that we didn't let it get out of hand, you know, uh, as we shared. And he listened to me, and I listened to him, and I don't know that we agreed. We, did, we certainly didn't come to a place where, okay, yeah, we see everything the same now. That's not what happened. And I don't think we changed each other's minds. But here's what we did do. We listened. And somehow, we influenced each other just a little bit that it brought us closer together as friends Instead of driving us apart. It wasn't pie in the sky like, oh, we agree on everything now and everything's just great and and we're skipping through the, the flowers running down a hill together. No, that's not how relationships are going to go with extended family and friends in the time that we live in, especially if there are disagreements. But the discussion we had brought us closer together a little instead of driving us farther apart. And after we talked, I thought, you know, what we just did was a good thing. It was good for us. It was good for me. It's good for me to hear somebody who disagrees with me. It's good. It's good for me to hear that. And it's good for you, too. It doesn't mean that you're going to vote differently. If if like me, if you're like me, I believe we're in a crisis point. So I'm I'm settled like in how I'm going to vote and in, and in my views. I'm, I'm not going to change my mind. However, it helps me to hear people who disagree with me because it brings me a little closer to them. Instead of pulling us apart. And I thought, you know, what we just did needs to happen all over America. It's not that we're going to agree, to agree on everything. It's not going to happen but we really need to move just a little closer in our understanding and respect for each other instead of farther and farther apart. So in your extended family relationships and in your friendships, you want to seek peace wherever possible. That is not always possible. There are people you're not going to have a relationship with. It's just too toxic. You need to just set boundaries, and that's the way it is. However, if it's possible, in order to lead in a Jesus way, to be a servant leader, to to practice mutual submission, it requires listening. It requires respect. And just that act, even if we disagree on issues, there's no way we would ever agree with them we can just move a little closer in our relationship instead of farther apart. Perhaps in 2020 America, that's what it looks like to be a leader, to be an influence among extended family and friends. So in a Jesus model of leadership, we want to be servant leaders and whether it's relationships at work like we talked about last week or like in the larger community or your church or it's relationships at home or relationships with extended family and friends. We want to recognize that the Bible was progressive for its time and pushed the way that we treat each other forward and we can practice mutual submission. So what would it look like for you to take the next step? and servant leadership and mutual submission. You can ask your partner, you can ask your significant other, you could ask your extended family and friends the same question, you could ask your kids that question. What would it look like for you to take the next step in servant leadership and in mutual submission? Let's pray. God, we're we're thankful. We're thankful for a passage that was progressive for its time and that pushed society forward in its time. Now, the danger here is that there are so many people who don't understand that. And so there are people who read the Bible in passages like this, and they use them to subjugate women. And it's maddening, it's sad, it's destructive. And perhaps the best thing we can do is hold up the value of interpreting the Bible in the light of its historical context, that the Bible pushed its own society forward and we can do the same thing. We can practice mutual submission, leave the Greco-Roman household codes in the Greco-Roman world 2000 years ago, and not enshrine ancient social norms for all time so that we treat women in 2020 the way that women were treated in in the year 20 in, in the Roman empire. That's a mistake we want to avoid and that we want to speak out against. And so we're thankful for a passage that pushed its own culture forward. And as we think about our own relationships with our significant other or kids or parents or extended family and, and friends, this passage causes us to ask, what, what, would, what would mutual submission look like? What would it look like to serve that person? What would it look like to break down the hierarchy and not dominate them and not want them just to, to do whatever we want? but to serve them and do whatever is best for them, to act in their best interest, what would that look like? Perhaps it's as simple as asking our partner, what would it look like for me to serve you? And then they ask us the same question. For our kids, perhaps it's recognizing that they can only do what they're able to do. We relate to our children, whatever stage of development they are and everything they do is for a reason that's connected to their stage of development we act in their own best interest we don't assume that they're doing something because that's the way we would do do it Uh, but we meet them where they are in our significant or in our relationships with our uh, extended family and friends especially in 2020 perhaps it's just looking for for peace wherever we can just being committed no, it doesn't mean we're going to agree. And I'm not going to allow people to, to make jokes and say things that, that are damaging. I'm not going to allow people to spread misinformation. At the same time, for people who are interested in a conversation, in a real discussion, I can have a discussion with them. And, and the discussion can cause us to move a little bit closer in our relationship, if not in our views, but in our relationship, instead of being pushed farther and farther apart. Perhaps that's what it looks like, to be a leader in the Jesus way and influence in the lives of people close to us. God, we thank you for this truth, this inspiration. We need it. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen.